Go ahead and take our Bibles and we begin by turning to the book of Acts once again this week. Uh, we looked again at uh, Peter's um, approach to dealing with a false professor there last week. And uh, I think one of the things we learn about uh, that situation is that uh, many can show evidence that they aren't yet saved. And so he, seeing this evidence that he wasn't saved, actually confronted him concerning these things. And uh, we just pick up and just read there just a little bit there in verse number 20. It says, But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of the Lord. Repent therefore of thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, and the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which thou hast spoken come upon me. And so we find in the Bible, uh, Peter faced a guy who was at one time a sorcerer. One time a great one in a city. One time a person, again, who even professed faith to some degree, or at least uh, was baptized there in verse number 13. But yet, it evidenced from the words he was uh, involved with and the way that he, uh, again, led his life, that Peter said that you haven't yet really found the truth. And you're still not right with the Lord. Verse 11, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And so this guy needed to be saved, and so he confronted him. And I believe, again, it's good and sometimes necessary for us to confront people that we know are lost and evidence that they aren't saved. And we can do this even with a false professor, but I would say to do this with great caution. You need to see evidence that that truly is true. And I believe here is a response to him bringing the truth to him and tell him to repent and trust in Jesus Christ, that he sought relief from this situation rather than responding in repentance. Verse 24 it says, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And so like criminals, and I'm not saying this for sure, but I'm saying it appears he, like a criminal, didn't want to be sentenced or suffer the consequences of his unbelief, but wanted to get off the hook, and so he asked him to pray for him. Um, he didn't ask to pray that he be saved, but that these things wouldn't come upon him. I don't believe we see true change. We don't find true reform, and we don't find repentance. But in witnessing, uh, one of the things we need to do is seek to inform so that people can be reborn. And if they're not informed, they can't necessarily be saved. And so he gave him what he needed to know as far as the truth is concerned. And uh, we're just going to read on here in this same chapter. So we see again another situation with a different person, now Philip, uh, trying to reach out to somebody else. And so let's pick up in verse number 25 and read to the end of the chapter here tonight as we consider how Philip dealt with an Ethiopian African man. How Philip dealt with an Ethiopian and African man. Let's pick up in verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem, 
preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south to the way that goeth toward Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of, a, of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and read in Isaiah the prophet, then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of scripture where he read is this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached on him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded that the chariot be stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the, and, and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Asotos, and uh, passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Tonight I'd like to look at how Philip dealt with an Ethiopian, an African man. Let's pray as we consider this passage tonight. Father, thank you again for another passage of Scripture that shows us in the Bible someone seeking to bring the truth to somebody else. And uh, Father, as we look around this world, there's very few, I believe, in this world seeking to bring the truth to other people, especially the gospel truth. Father, help us to enlist in your army and seek to bring this message to somebody uh, that needs it, like this African man. Bless this time as we consider the word of God here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we consider again this passage here tonight, we'll just divide it into two parts. We'll consider, first of all, the character of the Ethiopian and, uh, our, and also the case of how Philip sought to deal with them. And again, we're looking again here as another, another passage of Scripture that takes place after the persecution of Jerusalem. And the gospel began to be spread throughout the whole world because of this persecution. And sometimes, I believe, again, bad things happen sometimes, so people will do what the Word of God would have them to do. But after the persecution that took place in Jerusalem, you see there back in verse number 4 that uh, everybody that was a part of that church went everywhere uh, preaching the Word. And amongst them was Philip. He went down there to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ unto them. Uh, we find the Bible here, Philip, he goes down there to Samaria, he preached Christ unto them. We, we see the account that we read through last week. And uh, we find the Bible that the Bible teaches us that we should be 
spreading the gospel from our locality to our region and then beyond it. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. That's very important for us uh, to reach people beyond just our local community. You know, a lot of churches, they focus just on their local community, and that's where all their, their efforts are spent. That's where all the work is spent. That's where all the money is spent. Uh, but we need to seek to reach beyond that. We need to be multi-regional in ministry. And you say, why do we think along that lines, or why should we think along that lines? Well, notice here in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That was God's will for the church of Jerusalem. That is the God's will for every church to spread out from wherever they might be. In this case, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And you see, again, if you go back to, again, our passage there, verse number 25, they preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And so we find in the Bible they began to do this work. And God begins to move people to do what he'd have them to do. And so we first of all find in this passage of Scripture, uh, Philip, and we find Philip being sent. And we see him being sent by the Holy Spirit to go somewhere. Verse 29 says, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And so we find in the Bible that God does send people, and God does send them to go to different people at different times and, and different uh, generations, whatever it might be, to go to different people around the world. But we see the character, first of all, of this man, and want to look at this here a little bit because I think it's important for us to understand that God would have the message sent to, to all kinds of people. And the first thing we want to notice, this is an Ethiopian man. I've already mentioned that, but I want to mention again here that I want to mention some things about Ethiopia because Ethiopia is found in the Scripture. It's not just Israel. It's not just Egypt. It's not just Syria. It's not just Assyria. It's not, you know, these, these common names and, 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 and places we find in the Bible. There is, in the midst of them, this, this country, this area called Ethiopia. And it says this here in the Bible. This man was from there. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasures, and come to Jerusalem for to worship. Ethiopia. I want to do a little look into Ethiopia in the Bible here tonight. You know, Ethiopia is mentioned in the book of Genesis. Turn back there, if you would, Genesis chapter 2. Again, this Ethiopia is not modern-day Ethiopia. It was actually what we would call the land of Cush, a land, again, that was south of Egypt. And uh, you'll see that as we, again, consider some scripture that deals with it. Genesis chapter 2, let's pick up in verse number 10. Genesis 2.10 through verse number 13. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it parted and became into four heads. The name of the first was Pison, that is, that compasses the whole land of Habatha. 
uh, which is where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There's Bedalion and the onyx stone. The name of the second river is called uh, Gihon. And uh, the same encompasses the whole land of Ethiopia. And so there's a river mentioned in the Bible, and there's, again, this land of Ethiopia mentioned. Mentions, again, some things about Assyria, verse number 14. Mentions the Euphrates. We're familiar with those passages. But, again, we see the first mention of Ethiopia in the Bible, and it's, again, associated with a river that uh, came out from Eden, uh, Genesis chapter 2. In Numbers chapter 12, Again, as you think about Ethiopia, some might think Ethiopia, you know, there's not much in the Bible that talks about Ethiopia, but there's some 40-some references to Ethiopia in the Bible. And uh, in Numbers chapter 12, in verse number 1, the Bible says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And so Moses had married an Ethiopian woman, someone from this land, again, that's attached here uh, to the Garden of Eden and to this place in Central uh, Asia there. Uh, we also find if we go to the book of Job, let's turn over there if you would, Job chapter 28, verse number 19, this, this Ethiopia was a rich land. Uh, again, it was a land, again, the Bible mentions here in Job chapter 28, and uh, verse number 19 is having topaz there. And there's a lot of places, both in northern and southern Africa, that have many different precious minerals and jewels uh, that can be mined there. Job chapter 28, and verse number 19, it says there, the topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold, the topaz of Ethiopia, and a very expensive uh, precious jewel. I looked online, and it's about $1,000 per carat per topaz. And so we see in the Bible, Ethiopia associated with riches and wealth. And you even see that in Acts chapter 8 that we just looked at. We see again the Bible describe uh, Moses as marrying an Ethiopian woman. And if you turn over to Jeremiah chapter 38, one of the uh, most favorite, again, Ethiopians that I know of all history, really the only Ethiopian I probably really know of all history as far as, again, being uh, known as far as his character, besides this Ethiopian in the New Testament, is the Old Testament Ethiopian by the name of Ebed-Melech. And uh, again, Ebed-Melech, again, was someone who helped Jeremiah the prophet get out of prison. In uh, Jeremiah chapter 38, we see in verse number 4 that Jeremiah prophesies uh, some things concerning the truth. And as a result, he's going to be persecuted, just like we see the persecution that's happening in South Africa. It says, Therefore the princess said unto the king, We beseech thee that this man be put to death. For thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of the war that remain in the city, and the hands of all the people, and speaking such words unto them, this man seeketh not the wherefore of this people, but the hurt. Then Zedekiah, the king, said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he uh, that can do anything that, against you. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him in the dungeon of 
Machiah, and the son of Hamalek, that was in the cord of the prison, and they let down Jeremiah with the cords, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. Now when Eben Malak, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Eben Malak went forth out of the king's house and spake on the king, saying, My lord the king, this man had done uh, evil in all that he had done in, uh, to Jeremiah the prophet, whom he hath cast in the dungeon. He's like unto die for hunger in this place where he is. For there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, uh, saying, Take from thence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. And so Ebed-Melech does this. And we've read the story of Ebed-Melech before. But Ebed-Melech was someone, again, who helped Jeremiah the prophet in prison. An Ethiopian man, a man from Africa, a compassionate man, a man that went to a king and spoke to him so that he got out of the dungeon. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 68. Psalm chapter 68. You know, David also wrote of the Ethiopians. And it's interesting what he wrote here in the Bible. I believe there are certainly some of this region, uh, Sudan, northern Sudan, uh, today. Again, it's called Ethiopia in the Bible uh, because, of, again, it's, it's a regional thing. It's a land at that time. But uh, Psalm chapter 68 and verse number 31 say this about the Ethiopians. It says, Princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. It's interesting, the Bible, that Ethiopia would reach out its hands to God. That's Jehovah God. From a brief study of Ethiopia, we see it's associated with the Bible and truth, going back to Moses and his second wife. We see again associated with Ebed Malak, a heroine of sort, a compassionate man that helped Jeremiah be delivered from prison. We see David write of Ethiopia's Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands to God. And certainly that must have happened historically. Let's turn to our text there in the New Testament, Acts chapter 8. We don't know exactly what happened as far as history is concerned. We don't know, uh, as, as far as I know, exactly what happened to Eben Melech. We don't know what happened to these Ethiopians that reached out their hands towards God and may well have uh, been proselytized into the true Bible faith. But we do know of an Ethiopian that needed the truth and won the truth and was reading the truth. And so we see the character of this man. He's an Ethiopian man. Secondly, he's a high government official or figure. In verse 27, it says, He arose and went, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, on Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. You know, I think, that, I think of this man as being like unto Joseph, just in a different way, in a different country. The Bible says of this man, he had charge of all her treasures. He was certainly, again, a steward of her treasures, and someone that oversaw her treasures. 
Let me say this. He was a high government official and he was a trusted man. He was a great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And yet, you see in the Bible, he didn't come to Jerusalem for business. He came to Jerusalem to worship. It says that in this passage, verse 27. He had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was thirdly a religious man. Doesn't say necessarily what religion he was of, although it seems to certainly indicate by him having Isaiah the prophet, the scriptures, that he was possibly of some kind of Jewish proselyte, a convert into the Jewish faith system, and certainly seeking to know more about it. In verse 28 it says, He was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he read Isaiah the prophet. And so I want to say this fourthly about this man, he was a seeking man. Just like Isaiah, the, uh, just like Nicodemus, uh, he was seeking to know the truth. Nicodemus sought the truth and he found it. He found salvation. This man too was seeking the truth. He again obtained a possession of the scrolls. And most people believe at a high price he obtained this possession of Isaiah the prophet. And uh, here is a man again who's seeking the truth. And so we see him finally, and I like to look at him as his character as being a very teachable man. And this is, again, I think is worthy, worth noting. Look at verse number 30 and verse 31. As Philip was told of the Lord to go near to his chariot, to join himself to this chariot, it says, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah's, and say, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept a man should guide me? And desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. He was a teachable man. He was a high government official, but he was a teachable man. This Ethiopian wanted somebody to help him, to guide him to the truth. And now we need to understand from this account that while this man needed the truth, and had the truth. And some may say, all you need is the Bible. He had the Bible. But yet he still needed to be saved because he didn't understand the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us again that a natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. And so he was reading the Bible and he was reading an account of the Bible. In fact, let's read on. In verse 32, it says, the place of the Scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shears, he so opening not his mouth, in his humiliation he, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? He was a teachable man. Wanted to be taught by somebody else. I believe there are still people in our society and around the world that want to be taught the truth. And we need to seek to reach them. And so I'd like to look secondly at the care of Philip. How did, care, how did Philip care for this man who was seeking the truth? Well, first of all, he was willing to go to this one person. He was willing to go to this one person. 
At verse number 26, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, out of the way that goeth from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went. And it says there, he finds this Ethiopian man. And so we find, first of all, he's willing to go to one. We should all ask this question, are willing to go to one? If God would tell you to go to one, would you go to one? If God brought to mind one, would you go to that one? Is that one enough? I think it is enough. Start with one. We need to start with one. Philip went to an Ethiopian, a stranger, a foreigner, someone again who was a distance from him, but he went to him. From Jerusalem to Gaza is 80 miles. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to walk to Carrington to talk to someone about the truth? Am I willing to talk to someone in Carrington? Or walk nearly to Barnesville to deliver the truth, if you're thinking about geographically that way? Are you willing to go as far south as the South Dakota border nearly to deliver the truth to someone? I mean, that's what it would be like in our geographic location. Phil was going to travel to just one person. What about the city of Samaria? What about the villages of Samaria? Leave those behind for just one? And go to a place for just one? He did. So we see the care of Philip. He was willing to go and try to reach one. I'm glad somebody tried reaching me, the one. Someone went to me one-on-one. -on -one. We read also that Philip was willing to go to a person of a different nationality and skin color. In verse 31, the Bible says, and he said, How can I accept the man's, uh, some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up to sit with him. So Philip was willing to travel to this one. He's willing to speak to someone of a different culture concerning salvation in Jesus Christ. And uh, we need to ask ourselves, are we prejudiced or not prejudiced when it comes to talking to people? Philip believed the gospel was to go to the whole world, the nation of the world. He was the one we see in the Bible go to Samaria first. And now he's going to go to someone of a whole different culture and background. Bible teaches us to go to all nations, kindreds, and tongues to reach out to the Africans, the Asians, the South Americans, to the, everyone around the world. You know, we've had the privilege to deal with Jamaicans here and even Brazilians here in Valley City and Africans here in Valley City. And sometimes we'll even run to someone who, who's Sudanese here in Valley City. And up on the hill, I've talked to someone from India that came to Valley City. And in uh, other times, I've talked to different people of different nationalities and countries and kindreds and tongues, seeking to bring them the truth. And he just went up and sat with them. He sat with them. So here's a Jew sitting with an Ethiopian in a chariot. A well-to-do Ethiopian in a chair, and a man of great stature and authority. Yet he went to him. See the care of Philip. He's concerned that all cultures and kindreds and people 
get the gospel. Let me say this also about the care of Philip. He's willing to go to a difficult place to bring the gospel there. Verse 26, go to Gaza, which is desert. You know, desert isn't exactly a good place to necessarily go at any time in our history or any, any history, but go to this desert place to meet up with this man. You know, missionaries around the world and throughout history have been willing to go to difficult places and desert places and hard-to-reach places to bring the gospel to them. Philip cared to bring the gospel even to difficult and desert places. And let me say this also about the care of Philip. Fourthly, he was willing to be a guide to him. And I just want to say this. We should be willing to be a guide to people. If we allow the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the cults, the other Christian faiths, the Muslims, the Buddhists, others to guide them, they won't guide them to the truth, they'll guide them to error. Verse 31, it says, And how can I, except some man, should guide me? I've got the Bible. There's a lot of people today that have the Bible. You probably can even walk into somebody's home and you could maybe spot in their home a King James Bible sitting there right on a coffee table. Someone needs to guide them. He volunteered to guide. He decided, I'd be a spiritual guide. We've been persecuted now, and so I'm going to go out and preach the gospel just like everybody else is doing, and I'm going to be a guide to those in Samaria and the Samaritan cities, and I'm going to go where the Lord would have me go, and so he's guided to this man of Ethiopia, and he's willing to be a guide to him, a spiritual guide to him. You know, people sign up to be fishing guides and, and uh, whatever kind of guides it might be, but... Uh, I wonder how many people sign up to be spiritual guides. Verse 32. We find here, fifthly, that this Philip also was willing to seek to answer the questions that this Ethiopian seeker had. Verse 32. We need to be willing to answer questions that people have. Verse 32, it says, The place of Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and, and like a lamb dumb before a shear, so opening he not his mouth, and his mutation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth? And the Ethiopian answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speak the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? I just want to mention how really open this Ethiopian was. In verse 30 it says, and Philip ran thither and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. It said, understand what thou readest. Heard him reading. You ever heard anybody reading out loud the Bible? This man is reading the Bible out loud. He's not understanding it. And sometimes when, you know, I don't know if it is when you read, but if I don't understand something very well or I want to maybe really understand something, maybe I'll read it out loud, but this Ethiopian man is reading the scriptures out loud, publicly, when Philip first meets up with him. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah and he has questions about the book of Isaiah and he has questions about this, uh, this uh, passage here in verse number 32. He was led as a sheep to, to the slaughter, 
like a lamb dumb before a shearer, so opening not his mouth. And so he was reading from the book of Isaiah, as it says that back in verse number 30. And so he's reading the Bible, he's reading the book of Isaiah. I don't know if he began in Isaiah 1, but he was reading at this point in, in the Bible, and he was reading the book of Isaiah, and he was, uh, he was needing as a seeker someone to guide him, someone to answer his questions. You know, this world, I believe, has need for someone to answer their questions. The sincere seeker has sincere questions, but some will have foolish questions. I just want to mention that. Let's turn to Titus chapter 3. You know, you might be out there and trying to deliver the truth, maybe door-to-door uh, -to, -door to just strangers, as, as I do and others do and have done throughout history. You might try to do it at a mall. You might try to do it maybe on a bus. You might try to do it on a trip, uh, whatever it might be, but you're you're talking to someone about spiritual matters, and maybe they'll answer you, ask you sincere questions, but they also might ask you foolish questions. And what should we do with those foolish questions? Well, Titus chapter 3, verse number 9 says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Genealogies. Where did Cain's wife come from? That's the first thing an atheist will ask you, probably. Where did Cain's wife come from? Oh, from aliens? No, no. I'm just not going to answer that question. You might think on that a little bit if you want to. You maybe haven't heard that question, but that's one of those foolish questions people ask. Where did Cain's wife come from? What should I do with that question? I'll answer it. No, it says avoid it. I won't necessarily answer Genealogies, histories, and things along that lines. You know, what, what about this, that, and the other thing? I'm just going to avoid it because they're not really looking for an answer. Turn to Matthew chapter 15, but there are times we need to answer their questions if they're sincere. And uh, you need to be open to, as I see in this passage of Scripture, the Ethiopian is reading the Bible, to Philip. It's not Philip reading the Bible to him, but he's reading or at least stating the Bible to Philip. And so he states this passage of Scripture and he asks basically, what's this talking about? Matthew chapter 15, and he begins to answer his question. And uh, certainly there are times that we need to answer questions. Jesus didn't always answer questions, but he did make a point. He didn't always answer questions directly, but he would answer them sometimes indirectly. We looked at some thoughts on questioning when it comes to Jesus. But foolish questions, the Bible says avoid. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, we find Jesus here in a situation where he, uh, again, is willing to answer a question, but it takes a little bit. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went from thence or there and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon and behold a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him saying have mercy on me O Lord thou son of David my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil but he answered her not a word and his disciples came beside him saying him saying send her away for she crieth after us he answered and said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he answers, 
in an indirect way. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be thou even on, as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know, Jesus and Philip here and us in general should seek to answer spiritual questions. Let's turn back to our text there. Some might ask you a question about something maybe that they're not ready to really get an answer to. It might deal with maybe what we wear or what we do in general. And again, if it's not a question that seriously is asked, it may be best sometimes to avoid that question and maybe get back to trying to bring the gospel and truth unto them. But I just want to mention this. We must be willing to allow seekers to ask questions. We must be willing to allow seekers to read the Bible to us. And go back and forth when it comes to the Bible. It's good for us and it's good for them. And then finally we find here as we see the care of Philip, he preached Christ unto him. Verse 35 says that Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water and the eunuch says, see here's water what doth hinder me to be baptized? And, Jesus, and Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so we see in the Bible, he preached Christ unto him. Now someone says, how would he preach Jesus unto him? Preach Christ unto him? How would he do this? Well, let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 53. The Ethiopian had the scriptures right with him. He had the scriptures right there with him. And he certainly, I believe, would have pointed out uh, to some things concerning Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and the provision it is for salvation. And so we're going to turn over to Isaiah chapter 53 and we're going to consider here some thoughts on what he may have preached unto him. I think these are obvious things that he would preach unto them if he was preaching Jesus unto him. Jesus is the Savior. And so he's going to teach them that Jesus is the Savior. And so we see, first of all, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 5 and verse number 6, I believe he presented Christ as the sin bearer, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Verse 5 and 6, it says, For he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I believe he taught him, first of all, could have, certainly, that he was lost. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're all lost sheep. He taught him that he was lost. He taught, again, that Jesus Christ is the sin bearer. It mentions he has, the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Verse number five, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. He taught that Jesus was a sin bearer. He being a possible, probable Jewish proselyte that again accepted the Bible as true, etc. Had this scroll there, Isaiah the prophets. He taught him about the lamb. He taught him probably about some of the Old Testament sacrifices. He taught him about the law. 
and how again there could be an atonement for sin and how there, now there could be forgiveness of sin. And so we see, second of all, I believe he pre, uh, presented Jesus as a righteous and holy Savior. Verse 11, it says this, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall many righteous servants, uh, I can't read there, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He taught about the righteousness of Jesus Christ as a servant. How he lived, how he preached, how he died for our sin. And how he is righteous, perfect, holy before God. He was sinless. Verse number 9 mentions that. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. And so he taught him these things about Jesus. He taught him that he was an intercessor. Verse number 11 also mentions this uh, concerning Jesus. Uh, verse number 12, sorry, he mentions this. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he hath num was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He probably mentioned some things about the love of Jesus Christ, the prayer life of Jesus Christ, who Jesus was, how Jesus came, how he walked, the miracles he did, the preaching he did, the kingdom of God he preached. He talked about these different things. He even talked to him, I believe, about baptism. Let's turn back to our text there as he asks to be baptized. He may have talked about Jesus, uh, John the Baptist in his ministry. We don't know that for sure, but certainly Jesus baptized those that believed were baptized. And so he talked to him about a whole spectrum of things. All we see in the Bible is that he preached unto him Jesus. Philip did this there. He did this with the uh, people of Samaria. He did this in Samaritan cities. He later did this in all cities. Verse 40 talks about that. And uh, just continue to preach about Jesus. In verse number 37, we find out here, Philip baptized the Ethiopian. Now, there's some mystery to that, and I don't, again, claim that I know exactly what, again, authority he, uh, you know, baptized him, but he was a member of the Church of Jerusalem. Certainly, there's no doubt about that. And uh, he certainly may well have been an evangelist out of the Church of Jerusalem. The Bible mentions Philip the evangelist, and so that would be a missionary. And again, missionaries have authority to baptize. And so anyways, he, he baptizes him based on what? Based on the fact that he wanted to be baptized? No. Based on the fact that if he believed in the Son of God. Verse 36, it says, And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went both of them into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when he were come up out of the water, just want to mention there's immersion there, come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip and eunuch and, and saw him no more. And he went, uh, uh, went on his way 
rejoicing. And so we see this Ethiopian come to Jesus Christ. He believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. He believes with all his heart. The Bible says there in verse number 37, do you believe in Jesus Christ with all your heart? Do you believe in the Savior? Do you believe in the sin bearer? Do you believe in the sinless Son of God? Do you believe in the intercessor? Do you believe in the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world and cloning your, else, your, your own? This man believed that and he was baptized. What can we learn about witnessing when it comes to Philip? Again, I'm just going to repeat these points. Number one, be willing to go out of your way to reach one. That's what he did. Be willing to go to a different person of a different culture or different background to reach them. Be willing, again, to go to a difficult place to reach one. Be willing to be a guide to someone. Be willing to answer questions. And be willing to present Christ to them. And they may come to Jesus Christ if we bring that message to them. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.